Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stuart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stuart dog treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stuart freeze-dried dog treats. Big, tail-wagging nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, this week, we're going to have a repeat guest on, a friend of mine that has been on the show before, and uh, we're going to dive into a topic that, you know what, much as I love talking to Jake Edwards, I'd kind of hoped we'd never have to revisit with recent school shootings again making headlines, people being devastated outside Uvalde, Texas. And uh, lives changed forever. And an ongoing debate that never really seems to be solved. I wanted to, again, weigh in the dark discussion about what can be done about school shootings. Not that as I propose to have any answers on today's show. But I do want to bring in the expertise of someone that I think is making a difference in the world. Someone that has served our country and someone whose opinion and knowledge of these matters, I think, will help shed some light on something that we do need to talk about to this issue that has plagued America for far too long. So that said, let's talk. Jake Edwards is a Marine Corps veteran, a combat veteran of Fallujah. He has seen some of the worst humanity has to offer and has also seen some of the best in military veterans and his fellow Marines on the battlefield which is why he's the founder of Lead Tactics. And, uh, of course, you can always find more information that we'll talk about throughout this interview at traintactics.com. Jake Edwards, how the hell are you, Devil Dog? Great, Phil. It's great to be on here again with you. The last time was, a, was an awesome experience. I didn't even know how big your show was until after I it came out and guys were hitting me up like, hey, I just saw you on CBS. I was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> They're like, you want to fill show. I was like, I didn't know this show was that big. So it's an honor to be here with you. And your, you know, your radio voice is, is powerful. Your experience is, is awesome as well. And um, just humble to be here again. Yeah, man. You know what? I mean, I knew I would 
think of you again in the future after our first interview and I saw what you were doing with school systems around the country, what you're doing with kids around the country, what you're doing not only in jujitsu gyms and martial arts, but, you know, in the school space and training, uh, you know, administration and staff as well as the children. And I knew that we would invariably talk again. And as I said in the lead in, man, I didn't want it to be so soon. I certainly didn't want to be under this, you know, the veil of these ugly current events. But um, let's just jump right in, man. Uh, recent school shooting, Uvalde, Texas. What's the first thing that came to your mind when you saw that hit the news? The, the most vulnerable of our population is our K-12 through environment. So, and then even more on a detailed scale, the K-5 through you know, as a targeted elementary school, our most vulnerable population are our kids. And it's it just the emotion of it is overwhelming. You know, you want to be tied to what can you do to help and support. But when it first happened, it was like, okay, I have to remind myself that I'm a professional. I show up every day to do this job. I don't come out when something happens and say I'm an expert. I come out every day, I put my clothes on, take care of my family and go to work and support our most vulnerable population every single day of the year. And it's going to happen somewhere else. It's, it's like when I rode a motorcycle, my granddad always told me, he said, look, you got to put yourself, put it in your head this way. It's not about if you wreck your motorcycle, it's about when you wreck your motorcycle. So have that mindset going into being prepared for, for that situation when you ride it, so you're more more vigilant, more alert, more appreciative and respectful for the environment that you're in. Um, so I don't want to go off too far from from your question, but I want to say this is the physical world we live in. Like things are going to happen. Evil has a play at this. Evil has a say. And the emotion that these kids went through that survived and the staff members that survived, they will never, ever be able to fully remove that from their mind. What they were exposed to will always be part of them now. And what we can do is help them as a nation come together and provide them the best services to help support their exposure and experience, kind of like combat veterans. Like they went through combat now. It's, it's crazy, man. The Friday before I was asked to go speak at one of my buddy's martial arts schools to his group of all black belt kids. So what I did was work with them on leadership and also crisis management response because the important thing with all this stuff with kids is we can't think about the two teachers that died at Uvalde two teachers were killed what do we do now when we teach kids for crisis training well now a staff member that is their is their their parent now right so when their parent slash school teacher is hurt or killed what do they do now are their options end obviously it's age appropriate training we need to put our kids to at schools but we got to make sure the 43 states that require crisis training, my challenge is why don't our kids have the best folks training them for these situations? And that's where my company comes in. I don't do this. I'm not doing this to want to do it. I'm doing it because I know what crisis and combat looks like. I've seen the worst of it. Like you mentioned, Phil, I didn't choose to go be in the second battle of Fallujah and be in a platoon in, in, a, in a battalion that had the most KIAs in the entire battle. I didn't choose that. It's just what my path took me when I raised my hand to be in the military. But now while I still have a heartbeat, we can help prepare the next generations and our current kids 
for these imperfect situations that occur. Cause like I said, evil does have a play at it. Let me yeah. pause you right there. Uh, cause you've said a lot and you know, I love it, man. I love hearing you talk about this cause you have a calm and you have a strength about you when we discuss this. That's not highly emotional. It is just tactical. It is, it is, it is the way we need to look at the situation. And I want to talk real quick, bring the listeners up to speed on what lead tactics has been doing. What exactly have you been training school systems with? And just give me a couple bullet points on things they'll learn from traintactics.com. Sure. sure. So the, our most important part is lead. We, we got to have leadership tied to everything we do when it comes to kids, because they, they got to start looking like this is a development thing, not a, I got everything I need and I'm good. It's a continuous leadership development program. The second phase is I create an acronym for active threat slash active shooter response procedures. Let's go into the term real quick that's used around our country still in a big way, the term lockdown. The term lockdown came from the jails back in the 70s, right? And it's still that way. Like, let's say Phil, Wild Phil, right? Everybody knows how Wild Phil is on the show. Wild Phil breaks out of the prison. Now, what do they do with all the other prisoners? They lock us down. Don't move. Stay in place. Because the less the folks that are trying to get accountability and mitigate escapees, okay, or the damage, it lets them limit movement and have things in order. Lockdown doesn't work for an active shooter response. It doesn't work. we got to rip that term out. It's a national issue. We used it for COVID, right? Lockdown. Remember, don't move. Stay in place. we got to move towards th- terms like active threat. There's an active threat in our school. Let's train to that. If you want to call it uh, active violence or an active attack, whatever it is, but we got to change that term lockdown because it's literally hurting us. So I came up with the term lead with our lead tactics. Lead is lock, escape, alert, defend. Four main key things that are options when exposed to an active threat situation anywhere you might be. If I'm in my classroom, I can absolutely lock in place, barricade, right? Have secondary layers of protection. Because at schools, most of us only get that one door lock. The fire marshal isn't going to, there's very rare things that fire marshals approve for secondary locks. And if there are things out there to purchase, now you got to do it for the whole district, right? And that becomes cost of a lot of money. And then you got to train people formally when you buy a piece of equipment. Now, escape is, if I'm in a common area, Phil, the best thing you can do likely is going to be create space away from a threat, okay? If there's a shark after you in the ocean, Get as far away as you as you can from it, right? For little kids, I call it the land shark attack, and they always laugh. They're like, they're not real. I mean, but what if? What if they were? And they they make it fun. It's funny to them because they're like, they know in their head it's not real. Uh, but that's the escape part. Create space. If someone has a gun and I don't, getting as far away from from them as possible is a great option. That doesn't mean get outside and you stop by the by the door. That means you you keep continuing to look for options to escape in space. And then the A is alert. If I can use my phone, like I mentioned on our first episode, I went through all this. Alert is use my phone, line of sight. Hey, Phil, don't go that way. Let's go. Let's go this way. Because let let's say I have a better angle and I can see there's a threat across that building and you can't see it. And then also, too, when we have the radios. A lot of schools use radios for their first level of communication because expecting the PA to be the first thing we use, that's not realistic. 
because you got to be at that static location to make that PA call. How's that going to work when there's a gunman that's right there, right there coming through that door or, or in your immediate space? It's natural. You're going to move. So having static locations to give an announcement is not realistic. Radios are important. Applications on phones. There's all kinds of stuff out there these days. So that's the alert part. And then defend. Every one of us has a right of self-defense. We got to teach our kids that this is not a fight. Okay. This is a, you are articulating the the reasoning and judgment of self-defense and you can defend yourself and absolutely do what you need to do necessary to survive that given situation. Now, how do I teach that to kindergartners? It's hard. Like I said, I use land sharks as a term. I also, um, I talk to them about, look, if you're on your own and you hide out there in the woods around your school or you hide behind some vehicles, make sure they're not turned on. I always tell them, but that's a great piece of concealment. And if, if it's a chaotic scene and you hear people screaming and yelling and it sounds really crazy, like something you've never seen before, it's okay to stay where you are and try to protect just yourself. Cause you might not know where your teacher is because we got to be honest about the situation nationally. And these case studies show at Parkland, the one, in, the one in Michigan that happened last fall. Santa Fe High School that happened in 2018, first thing in the morning during right after arrival. And then, of course, you've all day. We've got to support kids being able to be on their own if there's no adult present because we can't tell them to just stay in place. Remember, we call it the X in the military. Get off the X. The X is the kill zone. We can't use those words for kids because they don't understand it. They have an idea, but we freak them out when we try to think they understand it. We got to slowly explain it to look, this is like a land shark and it wants to hurt people getting away from it. It's going to be our best option. But if you are able to, to defend yourself, that is absolutely something that you can do. And that's certainly something that like an older kid, like a teen can take out into the world with them, which is why I love to see your work in some of the jujitsu gyms and some of the martial arts things, because you're teaching these kids, you're not teaching them so much as empowering them to know right. they can rely on themselves. Again, different for a small elementary school kid, but for the older uh, middle school, teen, high school and above, those are all things that I think we even adults walking around could stand to you know, have a lesson or two and how to defend our self, how to defend our space and uh, safely, you know, use some of these things again, that you can learn uh, through lead tactics. And these are all points of discussion that you provide school systems around the country with your organization, lead tactics. Can I share one thing about a teacher that, that from Uvalde that wrote, uh, said in a report, this individual survived as a teacher that got shot, but survived. And I think 11 of the kids in his class were killed. The teacher said no training could have pre prepared me or the students for the carnage. It all happened too fast. Training, no training, all kinds of training. Nothing gets you ready for this. We trained our kids to sit under the table. And that's what I thought at the time, but we set them up like ducks. You can give us all the training you want, but laws have to change. He said, it won't ever change unless they change laws. So I don't want to go I don't want to go too far into the law stuff because I'm not here. I'm here to start where we are right now. And I feel like we can't grow without removing the emotional attachment first and having a big boy, big girl, big y'all conversation. We got to get the emotions out and we got to say, look, everything that we want to do when it comes to 
supporting the life safety of our kids is, is supporting the outcome that we want. We want to support them surviving as long as possible and keeping their well-being safe and their mind strong. So how do we do that? We got to remove the fear from this subject. The fear is so powerful on the evil side because the evil gets, it's like the werewolf. The wolf has so much strength here. And the only way that we're going to counter that is with strength and ripping out the fear of, yeah, this is very scary. Like the combat I've seen, absolutely. I lost 30 pounds in less than a month. That's how scared I was in combat. This is all about learning how we can prepare to train our kids the right way, the right terminology, the right approach to saying, what do they need? Well, they're, they need age-appropriate training. I can't teach an eighth, an eighth grader the same thing I can teach a kindergartner, right? I can talk to, I talk to middle schoolers about gunfights all the time because they understand that stuff. But the little ones, they, you got to make it where it's, it's, they can really not be scared of what you're teaching them, but you can teach them practical application techniques through your, their mindset based training. Let's dive in just a little bit real quick and, 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 and just look at some of these points. Uh, when we talk about locks, I agree that, you know, you can't make something cost prohibitive. So a school district can't afford to do it. Where are you as a school trainer, as a tactical trainer of these things? Where are you on saying that there should be some sort of mandatory way we access a school nationwide? In other words, one single point of entry with a metal detection device adjacent to it and somebody there to monitor the inter- the entrance and the exit from the single point. So let's, let's, let's go, let's start with first access control, right? Access control is you have to, during the school day, right? Like, first off, we got to get the kids in school, right? Some schools, thousands of kids in the school. So metal detectors, it can take hours to get all those kids in the building for those access points. But let's just assume that they're in school now. It's a normal school operation. What should a school look like for normal operation during the education process? There should be one access control point. The main door should be secured, and that should be the only the only place where visitors and guests can come in and out of that school. Of course, staff will use back doors for for PE, and you'll have your loading dock areas for kitchen staff and you know and facility staff that work in the school. But for visitors and guests, they come in one access control point. 100% recommend that. That's not perfect either. Let's say Phil's leaving. I just picked up, you know, your kid for a dentist appointment at 1130. Now you hold the door for me because in our culture, we hold doors. It's a polite thing to do. So Phil holds the door for me. I come in and I'm like, thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. You know, and then from there, I got in because access creates opportunity. Now my access is granted. Um, so that's, I do agree. Access control should be there. The metal detector thing, what I recommend and what I've been exposed to, we got to look at better technology. There are so many grants out there for schools. DHS has grants. There's other kinds of grants. We got to think about how does the NFL game get so many people in so fast? They have newer technology detection and they program it for what they're looking for. And we've tested some of those products. I've seen, I've been in an area for some tests for those. Those are fast and they're a lot more efficient than a typical normal metal detector or magnetometer that you would want. Technology is going to be the answer for that.
Okay. Okay. So it's not uh, it's not a solved situation, but you think through technology we can eventually get there, and that can be one good step in the right direction. I also like what you said. I, I, I think escape is pretty self-explanatory. You know, in our previous conversation, I, I recall that you, that you'd really had some great dynamic points on how to instruct children not just to barricade and stay safe but if the land shark gets close to where you're at have a formidable escape plan just as you would with a fire drill or just as we had in the military you know we trained for worst case scenarios in where to go if things go sideways and oftentimes windows aren't being utilized or running out a certain way to move in hallways and uh, you know corners or use walls or use uh, furniture kind of I know it's a lot to layer onto a child, but just the simple escape mechanisms and the routine of saying a fire drill, we practiced all orderly going out the door. Why not have uh, an active shooter or a gun violence situation drill where we practice maybe removing from this window and so we can all safely get out this window or opening the door between classrooms so we can get into the adjacent classroom and then filing out to exit that way. I think those are all remarkable. And again, I've heard you preach on those before. You brought up something just a minute ago, though, under the alert category. I thought this was kind of fascinating. Um, we layer so many extra things on teachers. And I hate thinking we have to burden them with yet another thing. Like, you need to go get gun qualified. You need to be, you know, you need to know your uh, jujitsu. You need to know all these different things. Look, let's let's not burden teachers with too many more things, I want my math teacher to be really good at teaching math. But you'd mentioned something under the alert category that is teachers, I think every single one of them are smart enough to use a cell phone. You're saying they should have either app-driven or radio-driven devices in their classroom that should something happen, they are allowed or they are empowered to use this communication tool to then be relaying different vantage points to the central command structure, which is, in this case, the school office. Absolutely. And let's, let me explain this, how this can work. I'll, I'll show you an example of how radio, let's talk, talk with radios. So let's say you and I are working elementary school. Okay. You're the principal. I'm a teacher. We have two radio channels on our internal school radio. So there's one operational channel that you operate on with your admin staff, custodian, front office staff. That, that's a normal operation channel. And then there's also a secondary channel for all instructional staff to leave their radio on all the time because you and I both know, Phil, we've had careers where we dealt with radios. When you and I are talking and someone else is chattering my radio and it's serious conversation or we're teaching, I'm going to turn that radio down because that's ambient noise to what I'm physically doing right now. We want to support keeping these radios on, right? So we have a secondary backup channel for all teachers and educational staff and instructional staff. So at any time, Phil can go, or anybody on the admin team can go from channel one to channel two and do a blast out all call, no matter where they are in that building as a perfect world answer. And now everybody's radio is on because you limit traffic on that station. So they support keeping that radio turned on. Cause what you see is a lot of schools have two channels and they'll do one channel for everybody. And then I'll tell them, look, send out a poll and find out how many teachers and instructional staff actually keep their radio turned on when you have so much chatter throughout the day. I guarantee you half of them have that thing turned off because it's just too much noise. And then what they usually do is they save that secondary channel for private conversations where it's like, hey, go to two so I can talk to you one-on-one. Look, that's what a phone's for. Grab your desk phone and call one-on-one if you need to. But radios, as you know, we got to use them for efficient, ad hoc, 
hasty and, and deliberate conversation. Okay. So I like that because what you're saying is at the beginning of instruction time, switch the radio over to the emergency channel, keep it open, keep the volume low, but keep it audible so that if in the rarest event that something happens that's deadly, everyone can hear comms on that channel and we're not cluttering it up with a call for custodial help in the cafeteria or a call for, uh, you know, does anybody know whose car this is? It's parked in the fire lane. Yeah, we want to eliminate the external chatter that's unnecessary and not vital, but we do want radios in classrooms for teachers to have the ability to communicate during an emergency. I think that's a simple ask. I think it's a simple technique. And I don't think that that's burdening a teacher too much to know that once the bell rings and class starts, switch over to the emergency channel so I can monitor vital communication. Very, very well said. Um, the defend yourself. I love the fact you're empowering kids, uh, as we said at the top, to defend themselves. Um, and that's something. Should we be thinking about this as like, you know, for a while, I think sex maybe wasn't talked about openly in school. And then we began with health classes so people could learn about the things that maybe even parents feel uncomfortable talking about. But we needed to empower the kids to learn about. Certainly, as the AIDS epidemic uh, washed across the country, we had to suddenly become more knowledgeable. Are you thinking that school systems similarly to the way we've educated ourselves about our own bodies and biology, should we be making it mandatory that at some point in time throughout the school year, kids take varying levels of self-defense. I mean, I, I think I never heard, heard anybody bring that up that way, like in a formal educational setting, but that could be a great option to bring to a physical education class, right? To PE. A great part of it could be that because one of the most important things about kids is they like when I work with small kids, like I said, I worked with nine through 14 year olds a few weeks ago. Uh, for their black belt um, advanced program at my buddy's uh, martial arts school. This was kind of weird, but I thought it was important for them because I was looking around and I was reading my audience of these kids and a lot of them had never met me before. They looked not, not so sure of themselves and their own just body language. So the last thing I had them do, and I said, I said, I want you to always remember something. You got to be proud of when you say your name. Someone, when someone says, what's your name? Like my own kids I always tell them, look, say it a little bit louder than you think you should. Be confident in saying your name. I said, when you say your name and you're talking to someone, you need to be confident in that name that you say back to them because that's you. Set the tone right off the bat when you meet someone new and they want to know your name. So at the end, the last thing I did, I say, always be proud of yourself and be proud of who your name is. And so the last thing I said is everybody on, on, on the countdown, three, two, one, I want you to yell your name as loud as you can. And these kids, like the smiles that it, that after doing that, after they yelled their name, the smiles I saw and the confidence that just their body stood up stronger. I did that little thing to make them feel good about the audience that I was reading in that moment where they were kind of slouching down, nervous. You got to master you in life. That's the only, that's the only thing that I finally figured out for me is I can't rely on somebody else, but the only person I really need to be able to try to rely on is myself and show up every friggin' day. And then that is how I can influence and support other people. And then other people want to help. But if I'm not mastering myself, I'm not getting anywhere. And again, well said, Jake. That's why I love talking to you about this. Uh, last thing, let's, let's land here. A lot of people around the nation and in our own veteran community have called for uh, further school security. And oftentimes that goes right down the path to people saying, well, veterans have experienced combat 
their instincts have been trained for, you know, guarding and for keeping, you know, their brothers and sisters safe to their left and right. Why don't we use more veterans in schools as a guy that's trained school systems on security issues and safety? What do you think about that? Is the is calling upon combat veterans or any sort of military veterans uh, the right way to look at this? I see that as a more force protection presence. They want a force protection presence of basically entry control point armed veteran guards. Is that kind of how you've heard it too? Yeah, exactly. People saying, well, right. you know, why not take old right. Marines and put them at the right. door with, you know, uh, you know, high power rifles. I mean, Hey, sure. That's a, that's a way that you can, you can have a more layers of protection, but at the same time, what these kids really need is someone who can come in and understand the dialect of the school environment. Those veterans don't understand the language of force protection, but they got to come in and understand how that school environment works at the, at the kids level first. And then work with them on what they need. You can't just come in and say, this is what you're going to do. It's what we got to do. Because what are we going to end recess? Like when I go to schools, Phil, I see how vulnerable they are. And I think of it because I had to learn finding enemy munitions and finding IEDs as a Marine. I had to think like the enemy. So when I go around and see and I look how vulnerable our school environments are, we do need more layers of protection. But it starts first with training the kids and staff for the required mandated drills that we have to do. And before we do anything else, we need to master a few things. All classrooms should be locked at all times during educational times. Right? Your, your door should be locked, secured when Phil's teaching with his group of 20 students. Okay? During class exchange, the doors can be open. But once those classes start again, they're locked because that's what a teacher can control. Right? We can't have these open doors and prop doors everywhere because, like I said earlier, access creates opportunity. But armed guards in schools will help. It's a deterrent, but it will never be never be a perfect answer to an imperfect situation. Mm. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway here is that there's never a perfect answer for all situations because we live in fluid environments. We live in dynamic, changing situations. There's not one thing that needs to be done. Without going down any sort of rabbit hole, do you, as a combat veteran, as a guy that's safely and responsibly used weapons, um, do you feel there is a place or that a level of gun control in this country would make a difference in these school scenarios? What I'll say before adding any current laws, I'll say what we need to make sure we do is if, if a guardian or parent has weapons and the kids get those weapons like a Santa Fe high school, the kid grabs his, his, his dad's pistol and shotgun and use those in the attack. Look, the kid could have stolen it and this and that, but negligence does matter too. Gross negligence is so important. If parents have weapons and kids get access to them and use them in, in a horrific attack, th- those parents need to be held as high as, of an accountability standard that there can be for those kids getting those guns. That could be a first start because we need people to start taking this a little more serious. That's the first part. But adding other laws, you know, I don't want to go go into that right now without currently saying you can try to prevent and do all you can. You will never, ever stop evil from having to say it something. You can't limit access to things, and that's where laws can come in place. But in the current time, as in right now today, schools need to start taking these three things serious, locking their doors during educational time having access control points and maximizing the training that their staff and students get, not making it convenient and cookie cutter. 
convenience-based training has never saved a life. And you know that, Phil, especially in the military. Convenience doesn't save lives. Mm, right on. Wow, it's a topic we could go on and on and on about, but it's something I know that you're right now trying to make a difference in, and you are doing God's work out there, man, helping school systems around the country find and develop the things they need within their own buildings to keep their kids safe. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your discipline in doing this, and I really do appreciate Lead Tactics. Again, you can find out more at traintactics.com. Jake Edwards, Marine Corps vet, man, you are still serving and you are Semper Fi, buddy. Thank you so much for everything you're doing out there, man. All right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate your time again. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.